0: looking at the second chapter of his little book on the Christian life, in which uh, Calvin now turns his attention to the scriptural model for Christian living. And Calvin says uh, this, this model can be summed up in the act of self-denial. And So that's what we're going to look at this morning, the scriptural model of self-denial. But before we begin, let's pray. And again, let me, well, I left the book upstairs. So I was going to have Calvin lead us in prayer but I left the the prayer book upstairs so I'll... Uh, you'll have to do with my own words uh, this morning, but let's let's pray together, ask for God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this Lord's Day. We thank you for your servant Calvin. Uh, he was not a perfect man. He was a, a man just like us, but you've uh, you blessed him with an intellect and with a knowledge and understanding of Scripture that far surpassed his contemporaries, and we are so thankful to stand on his shoulders and all that he's done. As we study his words, uh, Lord, would you bless him and would you uh, encourage us to uh, live a life of self-denial as we seek to live for you in all that we do, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, as it were, holy and pleasing in your sight. May we do that, and may we do that even this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to make sure I did bring this book... Uh, If you remember last week, I ran out of time, I forgot to mention it, so I just wanted to mention it more as we begin. Uh, Crossway was very gracious and allowed uh, me to make copies of the chapter that I handed out last week, so I wanted to to thank them and just to uh, recommend this book to you, uh, John Calvin for New Reformation. It's a collection of essays and articles on Calvin's life, and on his uh, legacy, on his theology. I haven't read every article in here, but the ones I have read have been excellent. The one I handed out last week was on Calvin's book on the Christian life, and that's an excellent resource for further reading uh, as we continue to study this. So if you did not get a copy, let me know after the class that I'd be happy to uh, get you a copy, and then also definitely recommend that book to, for you to pick up as well. But Just a summary of last week. What, do we, what we talked about uh, from chapter 1 of Calvin's book on the Christian life. First thing we saw is that the end purpose or the end goal of God's work in our life, God's work of salvation, his work of regeneration, is to make us holy as God is holy. It's To conform us into his perfect image, the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Scripture gives us the framework by which we can pursue this purpose or this goal of personal holiness. But since we need help to do so, since we are naturally lazy and, and prone to not do that, Calvin wrote this little book on the Christian life. He wrote it in which he he develops this model. He constructs a scriptural model for righteous living, and this model contains two parts. And we looked at the first part last week. There's a the scriptural uh, mandate for the inward change in the believer that needs to take place. This inward love of righteousness and a hatred of sin. That was the first chapter we looked at last week. And so in the second part then, what we'll look at going forward in the, the remainder of the chapters is the scriptural mandate for the outward change in the believer. What the believer must do now going forward, his endeavor to live after an endeavor after personal holiness. So that's what we'll look at uh, beginning today and through the rest of the class, different aspects of what it means to, to live uh, righteously, to pursue holiness, to, to be holy as he is holy. We have the inward desire to do that as Christians, as those uh, indwelt by the Spirit, regenerated by the Spirit. But how do, we, how do we do that? How do we accomplish that? What does that look like in our lives? That's, that's what Calvin will be talking about going forward. So in this new chapter then, Calvin he turns his attention to the scriptural model for the outward change that uh, is, is an outworking of the inward change that's already happened. And so that's the, that's the question for us. How are, how are we to live according to Scripture's instruction? And so in the first chapter, Calvin is going to attempt to summarize what it means to live according to Scripture. What does it mean to live in obedience to God's law? And he defines that and he summarizes it in the act of self-denial. So for Calvin, unlike the world, Calvin will say that man becomes happy through self-denial. Which is one of those paradoxes, one of those, those uh, things that doesn't make any sense to the world. How, how can I be happy if I deny the things that uh, the world tells me I should do to be happy? My, my desires of the flesh, the desires of the world. This is what the, the Lord himself taught, that whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's the, one of the paradoxes of the Christian life, that, that the opposite of slavery to sin is not freedom, but it's slavery to Christ. But when we are slaves to Christ, when we submit perfectly to his will, then we have true freedom in Christ. We have been set free when we submit everything to him. Because our true happiness is found in, in, uh, not in the desires of the world, desires of the flesh, but, but when our will and our desires are attuned more to his will and to his desires. And so that's what Calvin is going to, to get at here. And it's also helpful to note that self-denial is not the means of salvation, but self-denial is, is the pattern for the Christian life. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And justification is by faith alone. That's the, that was the doctrine, that's the, the material cause of the Reformation. So Luther said, "He said, uh, if this article of justification stands, then the church stands. If this article collapses, then the church collapses. See, this was one of the errors of the church at the time, that these, these works that we do can be meritorious in some sense to our salvation, that faith and works, they work together in some way and in some sense. And we see this also in the acts of self-denial. Michael Horton mentions and, and talks about this. He says that in medieval piety... Uh, self-denial was the fast track to the saving blessing of the beatific vision. And that's what led to monks and others taking these vows of poverty, of celibacy, of obedience. Uh, this was a, a means by which they, they not only grew closer to God, but they would actually acquire uh, salvation in some sense. This this heavenly blessing, of the heavenly blessing of seeing God face to face, of achieving that perfection and that, that glorification. Calvin understood that self-denial was a part of the Christian life. But Calvin divorced it from the Roman error of of a works-based righteousness. And Calvin put self-denial back in its proper place, not as a means of accomplishing salvation, but as a model for those who are already saved by grace through faith in Christ. So Horton, again, he says, Thus, self-denial is not the means to salvation, but the pattern that our salvation takes in this pilgrimage. In this life, self denial is the pattern. It's, it's how we live our life. It's the orienting principle around which we live while we're here on earth. So, with, with that introduction, here's how Calvin will lay out this chapter. This chapter, self denial in the Christian life. There's three main section or three main headings, if you were if you will. Uh, there, there's ten sections in this chapter. We can organize it into three three headings. So the first, he'll, he'll talk about the, the, the scriptural model for Christian living, which is self-denial. So the first three sections of this chapter, Calvin will be working through three different passages of Scripture that describe what self-denial looks like, why, we're, why we pursue self-denial, why this is a, a good term or a good word or a good model for us, principle for us in, in order to live according to Scripture. Then, in sections 4 through 7, he'll turn now to how self-denial helps us to, to love our neighbor. Uh, how, do, how does it help us love others? That's one of the, the main uh, requirements of the law, is to love God and to love others. So he'll start with loving others, and then he will turn to the, the first table of the law, as it were, to loving God in the final three sections. So how, how does, what is self-denial? What does that look like? And how does that work out in, in our obedience to the law, to the Ten Commandments, to loving our neighbor as ourselves, and to loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so the first, sec- uh, the first heading, these first three sections, the scriptural model for Christian living, self-denial. He's going to turn in this first section and, and see uh, the, the reason why we, we must deny ourselves. Simply put, it's because we're not our own. And the main passage that Calvin looks at in this chapter is Romans 12. Romans 12, 1 and 2, which we prayed this morning, that we would offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And so Calvin makes this important observation that all of God's law, his moral law, his requirement for us it, it is to be our delight it 's to be our, our our rule, our model for christian living and that 's as we said comprehended in the ten commandments and this this moral law to love our, the Lord our God with all our heart, soul mind and strength all our faculties to love our neighbor as ourselves that that is enough for us that that is what we are called to do but can we can we synthesize it can we can we define it in some way? can we boil it down to one simple term to one one thing we can we can uh, set our focus on to accomplish. And he says we can do that through this, this idea of self-denial. If we are denying ourself, that will help us to fulfill all of the law. And so Calvin looks at Romans 12, which is a way of, of synthesizing this. He says it's, it's the duty of believers to present their uh, bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing or holy and acceptable to God. And, and so he says since this is the case... That This is the case. Then let our first step be to abandon ourselves, to deny ourselves completely, that we may apply all our strength uh, to obedience to God. In this statement from the Apostle Paul, we see this, this clear implication. He'll make it explicit in other places like uh, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19 and 20, where he says that we are not our own, but we are bought with a price. But because this is the case, we, there's several implications that flow from this. So let me read this paragraph from page 22 in this section. He says, If we are not our own, but the Lord's, it's clear what errors we must flee and what we must direct our whole lives toward. We are not our own. Therefore, neither our reason nor our will should dominate our plans and actions. We are not our own. Therefore, let us not make the gratification of the flesh our end. We are not our own. Therefore, as much as possible, let us forget ourselves and our own interests. All of ourselves, our, our body, our soul, everything belongs to God. Therefore, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. That is our first step. That's the first step for the Christian is, uh, is to deny ourselves. And so he, in a way, he's, he's asking all of us, to uh, deny ourselves? Do you, do you want to grow in holiness? Do you want to have that inward desire, that love of righteousness? Do you have that desire, but are you growing uh, weary of, of your lack of progress that you perceive in your own life? Are you discouraged by that? Well, the first step is to abandon ourselves. So just like the, the title of, of this chapter we, we have here, the first step is, is self-denial. That's the main scriptural instruction for how we are to live. When we deny ourselves, only then can we truly apply our full strength instead of trying to seek our, our own desires and, and please ourselves, we can seek to please the Lord and to serve him. And so we see in, in this regard, the, the philosophy of this world, even in, in his day, in the first century, even today, this, this idea of self-denial is so antithetical to the world around us, where we're preached that you have to find your true self. <laughs> we hear that all the time in our world today. What's your true self? What's the inner self? What makes you happy? Your, your feelings are, are your, your truest self. And, and that means if you feel a certain way inside, then you can even go so far as to change your, your outward appearance and your outward body to conform to what you feel you are truly inside. Well, this is the exact opposite of that. Calvin is saying, no, but we deny ourselves completely that we may seek God and him alone. When we see this, Calvin will say, uh, because we are the ones that are born by the Spirit, those born by the Spirit will submit to the Spirit. And he quotes in Galatians 2.20, for it is not now we who live, but Christ who lives and reigns in us. So that's the first first section, the first passage that shows us this scriptural model for self-denial. Calvin will go on then and show us this self-denial, which is a singular devotion to God. This is another, another aspect of what self-denial looks like in scripture, and here he, he quotes from Matthew 16, uh, 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so he'll go on uh, to describe self-denial, and he'll say another point follows that we shouldn't seek our own interests, or uh, our own interests, but those that are the Lord's. We should work to promote his glory alone. We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then everything else will be added uh, to it as well, according to the Lord's providence and his good pleasure. But we seek first his kingdom. We seek first to glorify God. We seek first to, to think God's thoughts after him, to be conformed to, Im, to his image, to glorify God, to enjoy him forever. That's what the Christian does. And Calvin is saying that this can be accomplished through self-denial, through this orienting principle, through this scriptural model. And he says this is exactly what the Lord told his disciples to do in that passage, Matthew 16, 24. And, and so we see right away the close association between uh, self-denial and cross-bearing. We deny ourselves and we bear our cross. That will be Calvin's topic in the next chapter we'll look at next week. What does it mean to bear our cross? But for, for now... Calvin will uh, discuss just how self-denial, in a sense, uh, works as a prophylactic. (laughs) It works as a preventative measure against vice and against uh, temptation, uh, against sin. Uh, He says, once self-denial has occupied the heart, it crowds out the evils of pride and arrogance and pretentiousness, as well as greed and lust and gluttony, cowardice, and and everything else that is born of self-love. All those things, if we worry about and focus on self-denial, that's going to take care of those things. If we're, if we're looking at those vices, it's almost as if we're, we're treating the symptoms and not treating the, the cause as a were. Calvin's saying, let's, let's treat the cause. Let's, let's go right to the heart of the matter. Let's talk about denial of self. And, and when we do that, that'll take care of these, these other vices that, that come out of self-love. And it's true, uh, Calvin admits, that the Christian is not the only one who sees the benefit of these virtues and, and seeks to uphold them in his life. But he, he writes, "For all those who seek virtue apart from self-denial, apart from faith in Christ, these people are seeking virtue only for the sake of pride, and for such people, they have already received their reward." The Christian, on the other hand, he understands the present life is a pilgrimage. Like we mentioned already, he does not seek pleasure from this life, but his pleasure is to uh, glorify God, to seek to please God. As Jesus would say, that, that his food, uh, his nourishment is doing the will of his Father in heaven. And that is what it will be uh, for us as well. And the final uh, passage of scripture that Calvin refers to uh, is, is Titus chapter 2. And in this passage... Uh, Paul teaches us that we're to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Uh, Calvin uh, tells us that these two things, ungodliness worldly passions, they they correspond uh, to each uh, table of the law, which is a way of describing or talking about the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments, talking about uh, the first table of the law, talking about how we relate uh, to God our Creator, our Lord. The second uh, table, the other six commandments, how we relate to one another, how we relate to our neighbor, how we love our neighbor. So Calvin's saying uh, that Paul says we, we, uh, that uh, we renounce ungodliness and we renounce worldly passions. And in place of these, the Christian is to live a self-controlled and upright and a godly life. And uh, Calvin says that these encompass uh, every right action in the Christian's life. And so he'll say on page 29, uh, every right action in life belongs to one of these three categories, self-control, uprightness, and godliness. And it's helpful to to hear him define these. Uh, Self-control, he says, means purity and self-restraint, as well as blamelessly and carefully using the things we have and acting with patience when we lack anything. Uprightness means observing all the requirements of justice so that we render to each one what is rightly due him. And godliness separates us from the impurities of the world and unites us to God in genuine holiness. These three, self-control, uprightness, and godliness, when they are joined together in an unbreakable bond, make us complete. So this is another way of thinking about what it means to live the Christian life and to deny self. To deny self means that we live uprightly, we live godly lives, uh, we, we have self-control. But he's always quick to point out In truth, he writes, nothing is more difficult. (laughs) Nothing is more difficult than saying goodbye to carnal reason and subduing, indeed conquering, our desires and joining ourselves to God and our brothers. We are essentially contemplating the life of the angels, even as we trudge through the mire of earth's filthiness. If only we were like the angels. That, that's what we're setting our goal toward. But we know we, we won't be able to accomplish it. But that is still, that's is our goal. That's what we're trying to do. Uh, and so so that's why Calvin is one to write this book, uh, to help us on that that journey, on that pilgrimage. And so those are... Calvin's arguments from Scripture, his, his main passages which teach us this model of self-denial. And from there, he will go on now to, to how self-denial, how it relates to loving God, how it relates to loving our neighbor. He'll start with the latter first and, and see how, how self-denial and loving others, how those relate to one another. And the first thing Calvin uh, points out in this next section is that self-denial gives us the right attitude toward loving others. Uh, in, in, the, in this article... Uh, from this book here by Ed Donnelly, who, who wrote the article on, on The Christian Life. He, he's writing on this chapter, and he says that self-denial is not, in other words, it's not an end in itself, but one engages in self-denial to make room for other people. This is a way that we can, we can fulfill that requirement to love our neighbor as ourself if we seek uh, self-denial. It helps us to achieve the commands of Scripture, which says to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So how can we hope to accomplish this? Uh, Calvin says our our souls are incapable of fulfilling this goal unless our souls are emptied of their natural inclination. So it's through self-denial that we can truly uh, love our neighbor. But as it is, we we really we love ourselves. It is in fact, uh, Calvin writes, God has gifted us with something that is good in itself. We immediately make it the basis for, for praising ourselves and to such a degree that we not only swell up but almost burst with pride. We can relate to that comment. We're, we are always so quick to overvalue our own gifts, which always are, are the gifts of God, our, our talents and, and everything that we're blessed with. That's always uh, God's gift. They're not our own, but we, we're stewards of them. But we're quick to praise ourselves, to, to think highly of ourselves. And at the same time, likewise, we're quick to diminish the gifts and the talents that we see in others. And so indeed, Calvin writes, the only remedy for this excessive pride in ourselves is to uproot these toxic diseases, the diseases of love of strife and love of self, that are implanted deeply within us. Scripture does this uprooting with its teaching. And so Calvin will go on to elaborate Scripture's teaching on this matter, uh, unequivocally stating that every good thing we have in life, the gifts and talents, whatever it might be, it's all a gift from God according to his pleasure. And so if this is the case, and we're merely stewards of these gifts, with nothing with which to boast, every, and everything we have to employ for the good of the other. And so Calvin uh, concludes, he says, we will never achieve genuine meekness except by having our hearts saturated with self-denial and respect for others. And so he goes on. He says uh, that not only does this give us the right attitude towards others, but truly it's it's what makes loving others possible? So when we think about the commandments regarding our love of neighbor, uh, it's, it's self-denial that helps us to achieve those commands. We will not think more highly of ourselves when we remember where we came from and what God has called us out of. And when we remember that every good gift that we have is the, the gift of God, that will help orient our, our minds uh, toward uh, being more, more outward in our, in our uh, use of our gifts and our talents and what God has given us. And that's a really important distinction in Scripture about gifts and the spiritual gifts. In, everywhere in Scripture, when spiritual gifts are discussed, the, the purpose or the goal or the use of spiritual gifts is always for the edification of the other person. It's always for the building up of the other, the building up of the church. Never are spiritual gifts discussed in, uh, in terms of building oneself up, but it's always directed toward the other person. That, that's, that's for the, the charismatic uh, sign gifts that existed in the apostolic uh, period but have ceased. Those gifts were for the building up of the church for the other person, but that includes all gifts of, of hospitality, of teaching, of preaching, of, of service, of whatever it might be, whatever gifts uh, or, or material possessions or whatever you have. Scripture is very clear. These are always intended For the use and the edification of building up the other, and so Calvin writes, the proper use of all the good gifts we have received is the free and generous sharing of those gifts with others. And he goes on, "Let this then be our rule of for kindness and uh, for kindness and benevolence. We are merely stewards of whatever gifts God has given to us in order to help our neighbors." And that leads him to the next section. He writes this section almost anticipating that we're already getting a little, uh, I don't know if we can do this. <laughs> this, is, this is getting really hard. Uh, we're already maybe growing weary of, of just even thinking about how to, how, to, how to truly put these words into practice. Am, am I really supposed to love that person <laughs> that I don't like too much? That person that demeaned me, that did me wrong? Am I supposed to serve that person? We, we might even be thinking of names as, as we read this. Names might even be coming across our minds. I encourage you to even write those down in some of the margins. I, I, it's something that I have to wrestle with. And, and even, this more, even this morning, just reading it and thinking, man, I really need to repent of how I have been thinking of uh, some people. Uh, none of you. <laughs> but thinking of some people not in this room in my life. So Calvin adds this section, are we really supposed to love everyone in this way? And the short answer is, is yes. We are to love everyone this way, as the Lord instructs us to, and especially in the household of faith. And he uh, discusses this on, on page 39, this, this great quote. He says, the Lord instructs us to do good to all people throughout the entire world, many of whom are unworthy of, of such good, if judged by their own merit." But Scripture comes to our rescue with the best of reasons for doing good to all people. It teaches us not to regard others according to their own merits, but to consider in them the image of God to which we both honor and love, to which we owe both honor and love. But the image of God should be more diligently regarded in those who are of the household of faith because it has been renewed and restored in them by the Spirit of Christ. And so Calvin so helpfully unpacks some of this this understanding of of the image of God. We must be sure not to dwell on the wickedness of men, but rather to consider the image of God in them. The image, uh, uh, concealing and obliterating their shortcomings, entices us by its beauty and dignity to love and welcome them. And this is true of, of all mankind. After the fall, all mankind remain image bearers. And not just image bearers, but made in God's image. This is what uh, Calvin writes concerning the image of God and fallen humanity. This is helpful uh, from uh, Book 1, Chapter 15, Section 4 of the Institutes. Uh, Calvin says, Now God's image is the perfect excellence of human nature, which shone in Adam before his defection, but was uh, subsequently so vitiated or diminished and almost blotted out that nothing remains after the ruin except what is confused, mutilated and uh disease-ridden. Therefore in some part it now is manifest in the elect in so far as they have been reborn in the spirit, but it will attain its full splendor in heaven. And so so Calvin he's laying out this doctrine of the image of God after the fall where all mankind still have the marks of the image of God in them. And so they're all, they have dignity and worth and our heart should be inclined toward them. We should love them and seek to serve them. In In the church, within God's elect, within those who have been reborn of the Spirit, some of that image is renewed as we are renewed after the image of the new man, of, of Christ. And which is why we are instructed to to seek the good of those in the household of God. But even that image is still imperfect until uh, when Christ comes again and we will be made like the image of the heavenly man. Uh, We will be glorified. Our bodies will be made perfect and we will be like him as he is. But because the image of God remains, we are to uh, love others. Uh, we are to seek the good of others, that is to uh, spur us to benevolence and that 's why Calvin brings up this the image of God here in this section it It should uh, compel us to love to love all uh, to seek the good of all, to love our neighbor when we when we truly understand what it, what it means that that God created a male and female, he created mankind to be to be his his image on earth, and that endues uh, a certain level of dignity and uh, 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 more than every other creature on earth that 's why the, the the life of a human is infinitely more valuable than the life of any animal is because the man man and men and women are are created in, in god 's image, and so with that in mind, Calvin says this should this should spur us to to seek the good of all and to deny ourselves so that they they might flourish and then finally, he uh, concludes his thoughts regarding the the love of neighbor with a, a brief discussion of just how we can, we can truly love our neighbor, and we, we do that through sincere affection. Sincere affection that is, that is uh, created uh, through self-denial, sincere affection that's, that's uh, helped along by the understanding that all, all mankind is, is made in the image of God. The world is, is quick to uh, love others, uh, it's, it's easy to love others when there's uh, news cameras, when uh, there's people watching, when there's rewards to be had, when people can see them doing good. Uh, this, is, this is easy, but this is not the reason why Christians are to love others. Uh, Calvin says, we're to love others out of a sincere affection as fellow men and women made in God's image and from a true love of righteousness because we have been redeemed by God. And so with this mindset, the Christian, Calvin says, will not contaminate his duties to others with arrogance or resentment. He's not going to think of himself so highly of others he's seeking to help and, and pitying them. And he's not going to resent helping them either, but see it as, as, uh, as an act of love and a mercy and a duty and, and an opportunity to love that person and to love the Lord who has saved him and redeemed him. And Calvin will use some of that same language that Paul will use in First Corinthians 12 about the, the, the members of, of the body. There's no reason uh, that uh, a limb or a part of the body would would disregard or, or sneer at another part of the body. But we all need one another and, and uh, we seek the good of one another because that's when we will be built up and most strong uh, when when all are thriving. And so we see that in the body of, of the church that Calvin has in view here. And in one of the more challenging portions of of his book... Of this book on the Christian life he Calvin goes so far he goes even farther that uh, we should not consider our duty fulfilled even when we even when we 've done the lion's share of the work, even when we 've done a lot, when we still have something that we can contribute, we need to consider that. Uh, Calvin writes, one who has performed a single obligation should not consider himself free from doing more, as gen- generally happens when a wealthy person, after offering something of his own, leaves it to others. To to see the remaining needs, as if such remaining needs had nothing to do with him. Rather, everyone should consider himself, however great he may be, a debtor to his neighbors, and he must set not, uh, no limit to the exercise of kindness toward others short of the failure of his own resources. That is a challenging uh, word uh, from Calvin, that we are never free of our duty to love others especially those in the church, especially when we have the means of loving them, we are not free to disregard them. We are not freed from our obligation unless we have literally exhausted every possible resource, our time, our money, our ability, whatever that might be. That is how we are to to love uh, one another in Calvin's eyes. Well, let me pause there. We'll move on to the the, the final few sections, but uh, let me pause there. Are there any questions or comments of, of anything that we've uh, touched on so far? Yeah, are we to love everybody because they're made in the image of God, regardless of how evil they are, regardless of what they might have done? I think when we think of we, we're called to love. God, God, Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. And when we're called to love others, that, that's our disposition. That's, that's our lot in life. That's what we're called to do. God will do what is just and what is right. He is the judge. And I think that, that does look different. Our, our primary concern is within the household of God. It's within the church. They will know that we are Christians by our love. That is, that's in regard to the, the body of believers. And so if, if we're not loving the people in this room well then we are falling woefully short of our duty. And so that is, that's our primary calling, to, to love the, the brothers and sisters to whom Christ has died. But there's also, just as there's common grace in the world from God, we are also to be benevolent and, and gracious and loving towards, uh, towards all mankind because they all are still uh, the image of God. And that's a very difficult thing to do, but it's, it's what we are called to do. Well said, Dean. Yeah, it's uh, it's similar to what uh, Paul will say, where he says, "I've become all people, or I become all things to all people, so that by all means, uh, some will be saved." Well, Paul's not saying he's he's not saying that he's he's sinning. or doing something, he's become something uh, wicked or evil in God's sight in order to save. But he's doing everything by all means uh, to, to preach the gospel, to witness to them. And that's true for us. We do not live by lies. We, we uh, speak the truth in love, and we seek to love all. And sometimes that does mean difficult conversations. But our, our, our general disposition in life should be to deny ourselves and to seek the good of the other. And so with that, Let's look at these uh, last few sections here on uh, self-denial and loving God. Uh, the first thing, uh, now turning to this, uh, the first four commandments, if you will, this how do, we, how do we love God with all our faculties? Self-denial helps us to do that. Self-denial is how we love God. Self-denial is how we seek God. He doesn't cover the entire topic of self-denial. The Parsons and and Denlinger in this edition, they they have some helpful uh, a footnote that, that points us back to book three uh, earlier in, in um, book three, chapter uh, three, talks some more about self-denial, what that looks like in terms of our salvation and that outworking in our lives. Uh, but what Paul, or what um, Calvin wants to look at here is is how self denial it, it forms in us uh, these godly qualities of of patience and calmness, which are always uh, difficult things uh, to grow in and i 'm one of the most impatient people uh, i 've ever met, and I can surprise myself at how impatient I can be at times and when we uh, deny ourselves, this is a way that we can grow in these areas uh, and and calvin here he he does not ha- have in mind um, mere inconveniences of, of being in a long checkout line at the grocery store or behind a, a slow driver in the left lane. But Calvin uh, is, is talking about the major questions in life, uh, about career or finances and marriage, uh, health and grief and all these things. Are are we supposed to chase after whatever whatever we want in life with reckless abandon? Are we supposed to pursue these worldly desires, what the world would tell us to do? Or, or is there a better way? Is there a way that that helps us to to love God and to obey him. And so Calvin says that there's there's two things that we need to keep in mind. The first thing he says is that we must neither despise or sorry, neither desire nor aspire uh, nor expect to prosper for any other reason than the Lord's blessing. This is the only cause for which we prosper at all. Uh, God's blessing in our lives is why we have any prosperity. This is a far cry from the American prosperity uh, religion that is so prevalent Uh, That that idea that uh, God rewards and blesses us with material blessing to the degree of our faithfulness to him. That's not what Calvin's saying, but Calvin says that God will bless you according to his good pleasure, according to his divine will, and we can be sure that all of our prosperity, to the degree that is great or even that is small, no matter what it is, it's according to God's will and his blessing. And the second thing, he says, which is the corollary, that just as every success is the result of God's blessing, so it is also that without God's blessing, every success will ultimately become a misery for us. And Calvin here, he admits that uh, we we can look around the world and and there is a degree uh, and a sense in which we are able to secure for ourselves entirely apart from God's blessing something of glory and riches. We could easily look around the world and, and see, uh, make a list of, of people, uh, wealthy and well-known individuals who've achieved their status and, and their wealth in unjust ways or, or just with, with uh, disregard to God's law and his commandments. But it is also true for us, we are able to achieve wealth and status. But if we, uh, if we do that without seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness, if we are seeking success, however we want to define it, without first seeking God and doing it according to his will, such uh, success will not amount to happiness, but will turn to evil apart from God's blessing. And so Calvin summarizes it very helpfully. He says, We obviously shouldn't desire what makes us more miserable. <laughs> but that is what we, we tend to do, is it not? So only godly aspirations with God's blessing, those those are what produce true happiness. In in other words, self-denial makes a man happy. That's what Calvin would say. And so he then turns to pursuing that line of reasoning a little bit more. He says, all right, well, if, if we are looking for God's uh, blessing only, if we are trusting in God's blessing only, what, what will our lives look like? What, are, what, will, what will the fruit of that be? And so Calvin says there will be three results from this properly ordered pursuit of, of God's blessing in the Christian life. If we are truly denying ourselves or we're seeking God's blessing only, uh, this is what, these are the three results that we can expect. The first one is that we will pursue lawful means for achieving success. And uh, so so the result will be that we will not be breakers of the Eighth Commandment. The commandment to not steal, it requires every Christian the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. And it forbids whatsoever unjustly hinders our own or our neighbor's wealth or outward estate. If we have denied ourselves and we understand that we are not our own, if we understand that we are not our own but belong to God, then we will strive with genuine love for righteousness and, and we'll, we'll uh, pursue success only according to uh, His, His commands. Our, our, uh, uh, our actions and our desires will, com- will conform to His law. And so this, this frame of mind, it removes any option from us for any, anything that would be underhanded or perverse or otherwise unjust ways of achieving success. Again, however that, whatever that looks like, however that's defined for the person, for the individual, for you, you'll pursue that uh, through, through just means according to God's law. The second thing, another result, is that we won't be breakers of the Tenth Commandment. So we won't break the Eighth Commandment, we won't break the Tenth Commandment. The commandment to not covet requires a Christian uh, full contentment with our own condition with a right and charitable frame of spirit toward our neighbor and all that is his, and it also forbids all discontentment with our own estate, envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor and all inordinate motions and affections toward anything that is his so if we we know that we're not our own, but we know that we belong to God then we will be content with whatever estate in life God assigns to us. We will not desire uh, things that are not our own. We will not desire more than God has uh, given to us. And we will not envy that which God has not given to us, but he's given to others. And the final thing, Calvin says, the final result is that we will not grow impatient. That we will not uh, curse God, we will not uh, doubt Him. We will not, though we might cry out to Him uh, in faith, with a uh, as as the psalmists do, as David does so often in the Psalms. How long, O Lord? We we can have those those cries, but there'll be cries of faith. they will not be curses, but they will be there'll be proper biblical lament when things do not work out the way uh, we, we might desire them to. And so again, and I want to point this out, and this will become uh, more clear, and Calvin will touch on this in later chapters. Calvin's not saying, he, he's not a medieval monk and a theologian. He's not saying that we need to be taking vows of poverty and chastity. He's not saying that we need to disregard all ambition. He's saying those, those can be good things. It, it, is, it is right And it's good to have ambitions, to seek promotions, to build wealth, to pursue goals and dreams and hobbies and whatever that might be. Uh, He's going to look at that. How do we use the present life? How do we live in the present world? He's going to look at that in the last chapter. But all of that, all those ambitions and goals, Calvin says they must be held in the proper place. And the way we're able to do that is through self-denial. And so thus, the the final result for the Christian who is properly trusting in God's blessing alone is that he or she will, will not grow weary. They will not become impatient. They'll never curse God for lack of success. We strive for success, and we should do that. We should strive, seek to start a new business. We seek a spouse, and so we'll go on dates. We put extra hours in at work so we can have a bigger paycheck, so we can achieve some financial goals. But we do all these things with recognition that we're not our own. And then with that, with self-denial when those startups fail or when uh, the dates don't work out and we don't meet the right someone or when we have unexpected costs uh, that uh, that, uh, derail our financial goals in whatever season of life, we'll be able to say with David, as, as Calvin quotes at the end of this chapter, we'll be able to say with faith, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. In Psalm 131. See, when we have self denial, we're able to take our life as it comes, as God is giving it to us, and to not grow impatient, to not grow weary, to not doubt God's goodness, to not ever curse God, heaven forbid, but to, to not occupy ourselves with things too great, the things of God, and focus on the things that He's given to us. So that's what a self-denial and loving God looks like. And finally, Calvin ends, and we'll end here, uh, with self-denial as it helps us to bear adversity. And here, uh, Calvin will end this chapter, and he'll lead us into the next chapter, which we'll look at next week, which is about cross-bearing. How do we, how do we handle adversity? And how does self-denial, what does self-denial look like as it meets real life and it meets challenge? Well, it looks, like, uh, it looks like bearing our cross. So Calvin says, "...the person thus composed in soul will neither judge himself to be miserable nor will he spitefully complain against God for his lot in life, come what may. So in other words, self-denial, the scriptural model for the Christian life, will help the Christian bear whatever cross the Lord will visit upon him. So this theme of, of cross-bearing then is what we will uh, turn to uh, next week. But uh, we'll, we'll end there for now. Uh, we have a few minutes left. So uh, just as a reminder, uh, so we will look at the third chapter of this book. Uh, if you need a copy of this, let me know. If you would like a copy of the chapter in this book that I referenced, let me know. But we'll be reading uh, the third chapter, Self-Denial and Cross-Bearing, uh, for next week. Uh, so we have five minutes left. Uh, grab some coffee. If there's any questions, feel free to ask them now. That's a great question. How does John Piper's Christian hedonism compare with Calvin's uh, self-denial? It's something I would love to just dig into more, and I haven't. I think John Piper, the way he describes it can be helpful in that our true happiness, and this is something that is would be very compatible with Calvin, because our true happiness is found when we're seeking the Lord, and, and we have pleasure in doing His will. And so Piper would fully affirm question one of Shorter Catechism. That uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Piper wants to focus on that enjoy part. and That we have our fullest joy in uh, doing doing His will and seeking Him. And so, in that sense, I think it would be very uh, compatible. I, you know, I, I'm not uh, as familiar with all the different, I guess, uh, tenets or what else. Piper would get into as far as his Christian hidden, uh, hedonism mindset. I'm I'm always a little wary of <laughs> using the word hedonism, but uh, you know I I don't think it would be necessarily completely incompatible. But it, it's a it is a good question, something to to definitely consider maybe maybe more down the road. Yeah, where are you looking at a? Oh, I see. Yeah, but God, to whom you know, you are obligated because of His many wonderful benefits to you. Puts himself, as it were, in that person's place. That's what he, yeah, going back to the image of God. It's, uh, I, God created this person. Be his image bearer. That, that's something that's so, that's a whole Sunday School series in and of itself, that, that image of God, that anthropology that we need to, to truly, like Pastor Dennis talked about recently, I think last week in a sermon, and going back to Genesis 1, we have to go back to the beginning to understand uh, where we are and, and what we are called to do. It's very, very important. Well, thank you all uh, again for today. We will pick up with chapter 3 next week. Thank you.